0: Welcome back everyone to episode four of the startup series. I know I say every single episode that we are really fortunate and lucky to have the guests that we do have, but really this time we are really, really, really lucky to have James Morrell, the co-founder of startup called moval and why we're so lucky is because moval is one of the hottest early-stage startups in Australia at the moment there are not many startups out there who get to choose their investors who decide whether or not they want to go for investment because they're doing so well and that's exactly how moval is going at the moment so moval addressing a really really interesting problem we've all seen trucks flying around highways traveling interstate delivering packages here and there if you have a think about it trucks often deliver one way they might be full going from melbourne to sydney how do they get back to sydney what what's happening in the back of the truck well actually it turns out that those trucks are often empty going back the other way so that is a the opportunity that Moveal is playing in, utilizing extra truck space. And how they're doing that is by making it available to ordinary everyday people who are looking to move house, move offices, to be able to plug into available space on truck routes at the moment. It's an incredible startup. we got James Morell, the CTO of Moveal. He's built the tech that powers the platform. And in today's conversation, we have a a really great chat talking about everything from bootstrapping to investment to his first experiences running his first two startups, one of which was a music tech company, which got into the famous abbey road incubator look it up it's pretty pretty bloody cool uh maybe you might not find the incubator but abbey road the record label have a look at that and that will get you really really excited anyway it's a great chat he's a very thoughtful person who who likes to think about everything in depth and 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 he's very calculated and our conversation really goes through the twists and turns of building a startup and there's so much value in there for you as students pay particular attention to how he talks about investment and how he looks at it and how he thinks about that versus bootstrapping it's a great conversation enjoy hi james hey how's it going it's so, so good to have you here and see you in person finally. You've been working Absolutely. with Luna for a while, but we haven't had a chance to meet. So this is, this is awesome to have you here. Thanks.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me.
0: So I was doing some digging on you, James. Uh-oh. I always do. Don't worry. I always I always <laughs> like to look into to, to the guests on, on the podcast here. Yep. So um, I did a bit of online learning and it's really cool when you go online, you can pick out some things and people and and my aim for looking um online is to try work out people's superpowers so when i was going through my searches for you i guess i couldn't help but notice that for someone so young so kind of early on in the startup journey your your knowledge is like incredible articles on bootstrapping versus investment business models where venture capital comes into it interviews on sunrise talking about seven figure revenue and all in an industry you knew pretty much nothing about three years ago um and so like my overarching thought was well this guy's really sort of speaks really well and is a deep thinker so i went to our mutual contact uh, louis one of the superstars in our, our team and i just asked him the question i said what's james's superpower and and he said oh it's simple it's how thoughtful you are oh thank so you. my You're first saying. question is how how did you how did you develop the superpower like why why would louis um say how thoughtful you are and, and it's definitely something I picked up how it, how how did you develop that as a superpower
1: oh. well yeah I guess it it it, it um the answer to that relies on me accepting the the premise that I'm thoughtful i guess I, I wouldn't
0: you have, it to, you, have, you have to accept
1: it. To, okay. <laughs> if Louis says it, it must be true. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So I think um, I suppose if I was to reflect on that, I, I would say it, it. Thoughtfulness is a byproduct of of just being really uh, interested in in what you're currently pursuing, and I think um, certainly with with my career and how it's evolved over time. Um, like it's never really felt like anything other than something that's come naturally or something that um, I've pursued as like, I'm going to do this and then it's going to get me to this point and then I'm going to get this and this and this. So, you know, I think for someone who pursues um, doing kind of their own thing, doing some entrepreneurship and, and uh, building their own businesses, things happen in quite a a way that kind of flows from one thing to another. And um, that kind of enables you to, focus on things that you're really interested in um, and things, you know, opportunities kind of come up organically and you pursue them organically. And so I suppose the thoughtfulness, um, you know, comes as, a, as maybe a byproduct of that um, in that I'm doing stuff that comes naturally to me um, and I'm interested in and, and yeah, the, the thoughtfulness kind of comes out the other end.
0: Mm, so when you're in a space, what I'm hearing, when you're in a space that you choose to be, that challenges you and and there's purpose there. Um, it's, it's a natural instinct. Well, I think you're, um, well, I think it's incredible. No, really. I've been, I was so impressed to to read all your stuff. And when we were looking to do this podcast, I couldn't have thought of a a more perfect person to, uh, to speak to. So, uh, we're sitting here today, movals two to three years into the journey. Um, and one of the brightest startups in Australia, uh, I believe. Uh, so first up, you know, it hasn't just been like a click of your finger. How did you, how did you become a founder in the first place? What, what was your journey to get here?
1: Oh, so to get here, um, yeah. you know, it starts probably 10 to 12 years ago. Um, I was a, an undergraduate studying, um, social and behavioral sciences, um, majoring in community development and public relations of all things. Um, and was working at the print shop at at the University of Queensland and um, randomly stumbled across an opportunity to build a website for someone. Um, Hadn't never built a website before but had taken some um, web development courses in um, in high school and uh, built this website for this customer and they referred me to a few other customers and you know by the time I graduated I had a, a little web development business that was going that um, was supporting me better than kind of entry-level jobs and what I was qualified for at the end of my degree um, so I kind of pursued that with most of my time um, had a few other jobs to kind of fill some gaps um, in income um, but more of like a part-time casual kind of basis and um, yeah then just like you know, basically built this little web development business and um, that gave me a vehicle to kind of pursue different ideas and build little products here and there. And, um, you know, I did that for for many years until I guess my first real, my first real startup um, attempt um, when I was over in the U S with a, um, a co-founder in the music tech space um, in the, the business called the audio hunt. And it's, it still exists. Um, but yeah, we, we had this idea of building a an online um, marketplace for analog uh, audio gear so if you were a, a bedroom producer or um you know just someone making music and you wanted some like authentic analog sound on one of your vocal tracks drum tracks whatever you name it you could send your audio to someone who owned that real piece of gear get your audio processed through it and then sent back um, and, you know, you pay a small fee. So instead of having to book out a studio that has, you know, some piece of gear that you need, you know, cost you thousands of dollars a day, you're just doing these microtransactions. Um, and that, you know, that was, a really, that was a really fun venture to be a part of. We were um, in the Abbey Road Red incubator program for, um, for a little bit. So that was like a really exclusive music tech focused um, accelerator run out of Abbey Road Studios in London. So we had a few trips over there um, you know, was in, we're in studio Two and like all the rooms that the Beatles recorded in that sort of thing is, uh, is unreal. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was really great. And, um, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to make the the commercial side of that business, um, kind of support itself, but learn a lot of stuff with that. My, my co-founder still works on that business, but, um, it was something just a change of life circumstance. I moved back to Australia. I wasn't living in the U S anymore, came back and, um, you know, that's kind of where Movil enters the picture. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a rough overview of my, um, yeah, how I got here, I suppose.
0: I love your answer there. So it's almost like you've been, a, um, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur from day one. It's it's actually really refreshing in Australia to to speak to someone like you because almost everyone else we interview or founders you meet, it's, it's usually university, corporate, realized, hate the corporate, right. gets, gets straight you know, do something else, work for someone else, then then start their um start their journey in entrepreneurship. So, how did you how did you know to start that first business? Like, did you consider you know getting a more traditional job versus just starting a business at, at university? What was your What was your thinking there?
1: Yeah, so um, I suppose with the way it happened, it wasn't so much of a conscious choice to like I'm going to start a business now. Um, this opportunity came. Um, just randomly. In fact, the person who asked me to build the website was looking for someone else who was on a lunch break. And um, I was like, I could probably do that for you if you like. And that was literally my first client, my first kind of opportunity and um, sort of figured it out as I went. So I suppose, you know, for me, I've always tried whenever starting a venture to have like the earliest sign of demand and traction before like, really risk like putting a lot of risk on my side into a business or giving up a job to pursue something. Um, you know, I've always tried to manage my risk and exposure to any new venture by, by just dipping a toe in, I suppose. And this was the perfect opportunity where this opportunity came along. Um, I could dip a toe into doing this thing and then it snowballed from there where one job led to another job led to another job and it built organically while I still had some other income from from elsewhere, you know, the, the job I was doing. So, um, yeah, I think um, it was less of a conscious choice and something that something that happened organically.
0: I think happened organically, or perhaps even sounds like you made it happen or manifest yeah. <laughs> this path this path for yourself. So, just in there, you mentioned uh, on your previous startup that the Abbey Road Incubator, which sounds incredible you just kind of like skipped over that that little bit what was that like you know as a founder and there's lots of there'll be founders listening to this interested in your in what the incubator was like why you chose to do an incubator and your thoughts on incubators in general
1: yeah so i suppose i mean with that program it was um a, a trial for abbey road to be doing that and it doesn't exist anymore so it was some it was an idea of someone who was working there at the time that they Um, They were looking for some ways that um, Abbey Road could kind of branch out and do some other things. Um, At the time they did, they were doing this huge campaign with Google on this, um, with Google Cardboard, this VR experience of being able to, like this virtual reality thing of walking through Abbey Road and getting a bit of its history and so on. They were doing a a promotion with Airbnb where you could come and spend the night in Abbey Road Studios with Mark Ronson, like, you know, performing just like one-on-one. They were doing some cool stuff and they are just looking for ways that they could um, I guess bring Abbey Road into the 21st century and bring a lot of that history, but like make it, um, you know, new and techie and that sort of thing. So, um, they started this what they call yeah, I guess an accelerator incubator. Um, they only take three companies at a time every six months. Um, and the idea was they would, um, expose you to the contacts that Universal Music who, who owns Abbey Road or they owned at the time, I'm not sure if they still do, but, um, you know if they can make contacts introductions that sort of thing they can introduce you to investors um they would and it was very much like a affiliate your brand with with abbey road and and if there's a network play that we can help you with then we'll do that but in terms of like very hands-on intensive accelerator it wasn't that style so um it's important distinction to make because there's obviously very different value propositions there to to a more traditional accelerator where you're, you're you know day in, day out in the accelerator. There's mentors and people in there helping you out with with different parts of your business. But the experience with Abbey Road was amazing because, I mean, as soon as you've got a brand like that that you're able to affiliate yourself with, it gives you a ton of credibility. Um, There are are pieces of audio gear in Abbey Road that only one was ever made. And like the Beatles used it, no one else did. And for us to be able to think, oh, maybe we could offer that gear on our platform, it was, you know, it was amazing. So um, uh, for us, it was really like, Um, the value was in the brand and the the network that was able to bring to us. Uh, In terms of what you asked about accelerators and the value that they provide, I think um, I I can't speak too much from personal experience, but um, certainly the, you know, the proposition to be around other founders, other startups that are at the same point in time um, as you or, or slightly ahead of you that you're able to model some things off and learn from is, is invaluable. I think one of the, um the downsides to how well just where we've been placed geographically and, and where where we are is we haven't we haven't been around too much of a community of of um other companies and um I think we could have really benefited that from in our early stages
0: and so just quickly did Abbey Road provide fund was there a funding element as well there no so there's no no cash changed hands um, it was it
1: was purely a um you're a part of this program we're gonna do um, PR and outreach and that sort of thing and, and help, um, with that kind of thing. But it was, it was all in kind kind of there's expertise at Abbey road that you can talk to if you want. Mm. Um, but we we were also not in the UK, like we were based in New York. So, you know, we were a six and a half hour flight away. So we were only there maybe three times.
0: What a cool experience. What Yeah, a cool absolutely. experience. So uh, connecting the dots now to moving on from that startup to yep. movable, uh, how did you, I guess I've got a two part question. I mean, how did you, how did you meet your co-founder in Moval? Like how mm-hmm. did you make this transition? And then the second part to the question is, you know, I'm really interested in the transition from how you're doing one startup and you know what it's like, you're doing a startup, you're, you blood, sweat, tears, you're committed. There's so much. It's like sunken costs. If you're like, you've, you've sweated so much in yeah. this thing. How did you make the decision to cut one and start, the next
1: yeah really good question i'll start with the the um how Moveable kind of came to be so it was actually i met my business partner marty um through a, a mutual friend who i was working with um while i was in the us so as i mentioned before i had this web development business um i partnered up with a guy who um was doing more of digital marketing stuff and when i moved to the us I needed an income stream and um, he was growing his business. And so I would do some web development work for him um, and he would manage the clients back in Australia. And that's kind of how I made the move and, you know, made sure I could make make ends meet and that sort of thing. And then um, slowly started working on the audio hunt, you know, while I was there. And so it was just able to throttle kind of um, how much web development work I was doing with how the startup was uh, was gearing up. Um, Anyway, during that time, this mutual friends um, got in touch with my now co-founder, Marty, um, who was building a removal business uh, in Sydney. And um, we did his branding and his website and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, originally when he, so he, he's the one that had the idea because he had these, um, these removal trucks that were going into state and coming back empty, or he wasn't able to ever fully utilize the capacity that he had available. And, you know, for someone like him, who's pretty hardwired to, um, to make money, um, you know, probably uh one of the like scrappiest um you know in a good way entrepreneurs that i know just like will make money out of nothing um in any way that he can so um you know he was he was pained at the fact that this this space went wasted um and had this idea for what if we could create some sort of marketplace where um operators could list the space and people could buy it it was kind of the, the original idea and, um, you know, him not being a tech guy, I just got in touch with the, um, the tech people that he knew. Um, so myself and this mutual acquaintance, um, or mutual friend, um, who was actually uh, there at the start of the business and was a partner in the business, um, but um, sort of went his own way with his other uh, marketing agency. Um, early on in the piece, um, you know, the, the risk associated with the business wasn't, wasn't right for him at that point in time, um, but still played a really crucial role in, in getting movable started. Uh, and then, yeah, Marty and I kind of took it from there. Um, but yeah, that's how we met. I, I built his
0: website for his removal business basically. And so how did you know, like, how did you know the point that, uh, audio hunt was in yeah. your, in your rear view mirror?
1: Yeah. It oh, you were going to put it there. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a point. It was definitely a gradient. So I knew that, um, just life circumstances were changing. I was moving back to Australia. Um, so there was going to be this geographical barrier. Um, at that point, the audio hunt, the, we were struggling with, um, getting funding on board. And um, we built that from the start based on, based on a funding model. So being funded from the start, we raised the friends and family around, um, but then weren't able to attract the, uh, investment that we needed to continue going with the business. And, um, I, at that point had already worked probably a year without income from the audio hunt. Um, and you know, just for me, it was just. I had to, had to make the call of like, I'll do what I can bits and pieces, but I'm not going to be able to continue, um, that, you know, continue spending the time on it, uh, unless we, we have some way of supporting ourselves with it. And, um, and then, yeah. And then move all just kind of picked up as, as that kind of trailed off, moved back to Australia and, and yeah, that's, that's sort of how it happened. So for me, it's, it, I, I don't think I've ever made, um, a clear cut, like, I'm stopping one thing and starting another. I've always, like I said before, just kind of managed these risk profiles in that throttling certain things up and down um, as opportunities present themselves and, um, and and run things that way because you know you, you really never know what's going to happen um, or, or where opportunities are going to present themselves. And so, I've always tried to keep um, flexibility in how um, my time is allocated and certainly what. Where my, where my responsibilities are um, work-wise. So try not to have a full-time job somewhere where I'm committed um, 40, 50 hours a week and then not have any other time to pursue something that might come up. Always try to keep flexibility. And then as things have come along, um, kind of throttle up and down. And that's certainly how the transition from Rodeo Hunter Mobile took place.
0: I think it's such a balanced approach. And I love that analogy of, of throttling up and down is needed and, and so important as a founder, I bet, to to be able to, you know, pursue be available for opportunities as they present, and um, and being able to see them because you you aren't at, at total capacity. Uh, so you know, as a found myself, that resonates a lot. Yeah, I, I
1: think it, there there is there is an argument the other way where where some people have um, do do subscribe to the idea that it's better to go all in with something and make a really definitive kind of jump towards things. Mm. I think there's definitely merit in that. I think myself, um, I really try and manage, you know, when you're dealing with a starting, um, business there, there is a quite a big risk, um, profile to, to an opportunity of something that you're building from scratch. And I've always tried to balance that risk, um, as much as possible. Um, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm all in right now. Um, without, I've certainly gone all in now with mobile, but it's, it took a long time of, of, you know, Finding product market fit, prototyping, so on. It before I was comfortable going. All right, now it's the risk is appropriate now to go full time with it. And I think it's just it's depends on what, what sort of risk taker you are. I know some very successful people who are just like, not nah, all in day one. That's it.
0: Yeah, well, entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? And- Absolutely. Uh, so, so moving into the movable world, what would you say was your biggest obstacle at the start? Was that, what was the biggest hurdle to getting this startup going?
1: Finding the, finding the right business model for it. I think, um, we, we rebuilt movable three times before I, before we were full time with it. Um, we, yeah, we, we tried a whole heap of different, um, approaches i mean one of the one of the things that i think we did really well early on was rapidly build um minimum viable products and get them to market and trial them and get feedback from both sides of our marketplaces both from customers and from um, the suppliers that, that list their space on the platform and um, through that feedback iterate quickly and i think um, you know that iteration I wouldn't call it a barrier, but it would certainly was the, the biggest early challenge that we faced in getting something that really gelled, and then, um, and then ran with it.
0: And did you, um, you, cause you mentioned with audio hunt that the whole business was based off, uh, a funding model or, or requiring yeah. funding. Did you consider funding at the start with movable? Or were you sort of scarred from that experience? Or- yeah,
1: no, I wouldn't say scarred. I mean, for anyone who's taken investor money um, and not been able to return it, like it's not a great feeling. Um, I think I I came from that with some learning about um, how I wanted to to build the next company, and um, or just just some understanding of how to um, really again, it comes back to risk and, and what kind of, um, what kind of risk I would need to mitigate for myself before I went all in. And then knowing that if I wasn't all in, I wasn't going to take anyone's money. Um, so I suppose the two of those things then worked hand in hand with mobile where, um, we were iterating, we were doing this on the side with other businesses and, and so on. Um, and it wasn't appropriate to take investor money at that point. Um, Again, as I said, like um, I'm not the type to just jump straight into something full time. So again, I couldn't, we weren't going to raise and then just go in full time with it. There were some things we wanted to prove to ourselves about whether the opportunity was really there or not. So we did that and then, and then went from there. I I certainly was the most vocal in the group about, about doing things that way, given my prior experience. I think some of the others were, um, were more interested in raising from the get-go. Um, but also respected that I, I was the only one who had, in, who had raised before and, um, had learned from it. And so, yeah, the decision was made to, to prove out a degree of product market fit before taking any money.
0: Mm. So on that, um, and you've been quite vocal with bootstrapping versus uh, verse funding, um, mm. in, in, in some media, yep. uh, last year, but. Uh, I understand that things changed for you a little bit. You've gone from a bootstrap company and then you did close uh, around um, might've been late last year. What's so, so why I'm interested to explore why at that point, like, how did you know this is the point Mm. that, okay, I'm ready for investment. I'm ready for investors and like, Who did you choose? Who, how did you, how did you go through that process?
1: Yeah. Okay. So it became clear with the business that um, once we had a degree of traction, um, we were doing well, we were starting to get picked up by media. Um, We were getting a lot of positive feedback from customers. So, you know, I would say like the really early signs um, of of a good product market fit started to occur in the business. Um, I, I became to be much more comfortable with the idea of we have something here that capital can accelerate and that for me was the the right time to then um you know approach um the market and see you know what kind of dollars we could raise you know or not what, what kind of dollars you know i had an idea of, of how much we wanted at the at that point in time to reach our next milestone um, and so it, it was good to go to market and see what kind of valuation that pitch sat at and that sort of thing. I think to, to go to the bootstrap verse versus you know, funding from, from day one, the best way I had it explained to me was, and this is kind of after the fact, but, um, I really like the analogy is you've got to be clear, got to be clear on where you're going and what method of transportation makes sense to get there as an analogy, I'm not talking physically about logistics, mm. you know, you know, if your if your startup resembles a round the world trip like you can't do that in a bus you can't do that in a car you have to have a plane and planes are expensive and you've got a race you can't bootstrap your way around the world if you, if you do someone else is going to get get onto it and um, you know raise the money and beat you there if you're just going from um, Byron Bay to the Gold Coast you know it is way over spec to get a, do that by plane. Um, you could probably ride it on a bike. You could probably, you know, you comfortably do that in a car in, you know, 40 minutes or so. Um, and so, you know, in the analogy, you know, the, the trip you're taking is the company you're building and the method of transportation is, is the capital or not. Um, you can build a bike yourself, you can bootstrap, you know, the bike is the bootstrap model, even a car to an extent, you know, you could throw together something really cheaply. Um, and so for us, I think we we knew we're not removal is not a hundred billion dollar idea. We we were very clear on what is the market opportunity here. We really knew our metrics, the market we were going after. We understood it. Um we knew um we picked a plan to get there, which was bootstrap to a point, take on some capital accelerate it, And then we just executed on that.
0: Amazing. Again, very thoughtful and strategic uh, approach. So I think that that key theme of thoughtfulness is it's definitely coming through. Uh, how would you, so I'm interested in, in the negotiation with investors. So um, a bit of context, I heard, heard via the rumor mill that you, uh, had more investors, uh, interested in you than you actually took and there's interest there. So how do you, um, I want to come at this question from a different angle because I'm really interested to, to hear your thoughts. It's, um, one thing, taking money from investors and now they're partners in the business and you're all on this journey and you know you're in the unique position that you got to choose the investors that you wanted to work with lots of lots of founders are not in that position to take from where, wherever they can i'm interested in the the group of investors that you decided not to go with who might have yep. put in office. How do you think about them now? And um, was there any friction in, in sort of rejecting those offers, mm. knowing that maybe they're people in the future who you're going to need? So how did you yeah. how did you navigate that?
1: Yeah, so interesting. I think, first of all, like we have a business that appeals to a very specific type of investor, I think, and also actually fits the model of a lot of the Australian-based investors that I talk to. Um, you know, at the time when I was raising, I talked to, um, family offices in Singapore. I talked to VCs in Silicon Valley, and it became very clear that like I should not be talking to VCs in Silicon Valley about about our idea. It's not it's not a venture scale, um, huge like born kind of of company that we're building at this point in time. Where I like to call us where like the mo- we're the most boring startup in the country at this point. Where you know where we're based. We're, we're focused very much on unit economics. We're focused we're focused very much on. Um, profitability uh, which is a hangover from our um, bootstrap days that we haven't been able to shake and um, you know we we are building that sort of business and then so once you once you take a ton of meetings you get a very 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 quick feel for what types of investors you should be talking to and what you shouldn't so that was like the, the biggest thing that I learned in in that raise because in the audio hunt my business partner led, led the raising so I hadn't actually done that myself before so Then to the point about who we said yes to and who we said no to, that was really tough because we did end up with a short list of investors who were really strong. Um, That one in particular that we said no to was really difficult. Um, We ended up working with them on some tech stuff. They they came from a a tech background. They had a tech agency um, and they helped us build out some of our product this year. That was a a really tough one. And I think hopefully that might come in on a later round. We just ended up going with Two investors, um, we wanted to keep the cap table as as light as possible. We didn't want to take money from heaps of people. If we could keep it you know, one or two checks, um, given the size of the raise that we're doing is quite small. Um, we wanted to do that. And the two we settled on were Brisbane-based, um, which is where our company was. So that was um, positive or, or something that we were, we were looking for at the time. People that I was able to spend a, a bit of face time with, in order to get a feel for who they were, what their backgrounds were, and just, you know, just get that feel for for the person that you, you can only kind of get if you're having lunch um, and having a few drinks and and kind of talking socially with. We knew that we wanted investors who were relatively hands-off, who were interested in making an investment, but very much um, looking for us to do our thing and not get too involved with. There were a couple of other boxes where that our current two investors tick. Like one of our investors um, has almost like their own incubator accelerator. It's, it's not a program per se, but they have a, um, a diverse um, startup portfolio. They have as many companies as they can fit in office space that they own that they then give um, free to the companies that they've invested in. So that's a really nice perk to not have to pay um, uh, office rent. Um, so that was one that got our investor over the line, and then the other one was from a founder who had had exited his business, um, had taken some time away, and had come back and was just doing some some angel style deals. And him and I connected from from the get go. Spoke very honestly about numbers. He's really strong on numbers, which I liked. I'm really good at um, playing devil's advocate to things that I would throw out there, and we just had we just connected. I think intellectually and um, Got along really well, and that was important because you know at the time, Nirmali and I were bootstrapping. the The enjoyment of the company was uh, something that was of a, a big priority to us, and we tried to pick investors who were going to you know help also enjoy the journey with us, which is which I think is really important.
0: Well, well done, well done on um, putting that all together, and and seems like you've done it in a very. Uh, very human way as well. You know, a lot of people talk about investment as this like cut throat yeah. um, sort of hardcore negotiation where all of a sudden people want to be ripping each other off and, and all sorts of that. So I really, like I, I think that,
1: that human- just on, on that point there, like it, it is, I think there are some signs you can get early on from investors that, mm. you know, depending on, on what you want, sometimes that's, appropriate, you know, people are, it does need to be a really robust, like uh, negotiation and, and that's fitting for some models for us. It was like, we wanted founder friendly kind of investors to start with. And, um, I think one of the early signs that we were onto a good thing with these investors were one of them just said, like, I don't talk founders down on valuation. So it's, it's not my place. I'll tell you if it's a good invest- I I see it as a good investment at that price point for me but I won't back and forth with you trying to talk you down your valuation. Cause that doesn't help anybody It kind of ruins your morale. And, um, you know, I want you to get the best deal you can for yourself. Um, so if you can get, if you think you can get that deal, go and get it, I'm not going to talk you down on it. And for me, that was like, that's the sort of investor I want on board. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it depends who you're talking to. I suppose.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, just eye to the future now, uh, I guess thinking about you've taken investment, you're moving on, you've got bigger plans. What does the next 12 months look like for move or what are you, what are you working on? And I guess what does, what does scaling now post investment and look like for you?
1: Yeah. So we're actually coming to the end of the timeframe of that last race. So we're, we're turning our sights now to, you know, I, I suppose a series a style of investment. Um, it, it's hard with labels because again, um, some people will talk about the the size of the round as being the thing that determines what you'd call it. Um, so some people say, oh, you know, the type of dollars that you're looking at, that's really more of a seed round. But um, I would look at it more in terms of what what the stage or the maturity of the company is, and what the dollars are going to be deployed to do. You know, with seed funding being to to build out product and and prove out those early signs of product market fit. And series A really being all right, product market fits there. It's strong, you're starting to get growth. And um, how can we pour more kind of oil on the fire and really accelerate growth? And we're, we're kind of getting into that stage now where we'll be going back to market, raising some more funds for the next stage of growth removal. Um, so for us, um, our business is quite seasonal. Lots of Australians move over the summer holidays. So we're coming into the busiest time of the year now. So where all kind of systems go on just making sure we're servicing customers really well, giving an excellent experience to them. You know, making sure they're telling their friends and transacting, and then you know that'll continue all the way through to the end of March. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of where we're focused on at the moment. It's a good time for me to be raising because we're not doing um, as much strategic work or like groundwork where we're kind of we're in harvest season. Um, and that's a good time for me to pop my head up and start talking to investors, um, about the next phase of growth and the rest of the team to get on with doing what they do best.
0: So exciting. Well, I wish we could, uh, talk all day, but we're coming up to the end now. So I like to close off with some rapid fire questions. Right. So strap yourself in okay. just a cu- just a couple, no, <laughs> not, not not too curly. So, um, who inspires you?
1: Did you see that documentary about uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary? Yes. So I'm really tall but never really played basketball. And I think after watching that recently, I've been on a Michael Jordan um, inspiration bender. And I would say at the moment Michael Jordan.
0: Incredible documentary. Yeah. Um, Mac or PC? PC. PC. And Steve Jobs or Elon Musk?
1: My mum's South African, so, and he's South African, so I'm just yeah,
0: going with Yeah, I'd say Elon too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> once he, you know, he could get to Mars. Steve, yeah. Steve, Steve got us computers, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, and as a final one, um, a bit reflective, what advice would you give to the uni version of you? If you could go back in time and give uni James some advice, what would it be?
1: Oh, don't be so focused on grades.
0: Love it. Uh, well, James, thank you so much for an incredible conversation. That was, was super inspiring and, yeah, it was uh, is really, really enjoyable. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me along. Cheers. Well, I could have actually chatted for another 45 minutes. He is such a smart guy, James. Such great perspective on the startup world, on building a startup. I feel like I just got smarter during that conversation. I hope you had the same feeling. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of it in class. James is going to be in there of course. I guess the things for you to think about coming out of this, like I said in the uh, intro to the conversation, James's perspective on investment versus bootstrapping is really, really interesting and it will be great to hone in on that during class. So thanks for listening to another episode and I will see you online for class.